Um, so this week we read Perashat uh, Terumah. You know, some rabbis get very nervous when we get to this uh, Perashat, when we get to these latter parshiot of the uh, of the book of Shemot. You know, we leave behind the the stories of Bereshit, the the plagues uh, of Shemot, the the Exodus, the slavery, the splitting of the sea, uh, Mahmad Har Sinai, all the stories there. And what do we start talking about? We start talking about furniture. Furniture and building plans. And next week we start talking about clothing plans. And without all the stories, some rabbis get very, very nervous. So luckily, Terumah always begins in the month of... Uh, we always read Terumah in the month of Adar. So Adar, we also have the Megillah, so at least many rabbis can get to throw in the Megillah. Now, <clears throat> just to begin, each night after midnight... We're supposed to get up and we're supposed to sit on the floor. They put ashes, some people, many years ago, they did it every every night. And they did tikkun chatzot. They recall the destruction of the temple. They just, the, 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 uh, and what we're lacking during the summer, we have the period of the three weeks. And during the three weeks, we're in fact, we're in fact uh, mourning over the temple. We're focused on the destruction. We're focusing on it each day, we build up and up, and it culminates on Tisha B'Av. And we spend that full day in mourning. But the question many people ask is, what are we mourning, and what have we lost? It's interesting that the Zohar Kadosh and the Kabbalah that speaks about the portion of Terumah really gives us an idea into understanding what we lost and what we should be yearning for. You can ask me, how does a portion talking about furniture from a furniture guy a portion talking about furniture teach us about uh, what we lost in the Mikdash we're going to see also as a preface to the class I want to just mention this concept of an embassy an embassy is a place that although it may be in foreign soil in many ways it's considered to be like the soil of the homeland we're all familiar with the movies, the stories, you know, the guy's running away, he's running from the guys who are getting him, and he has to make it to the embassy, and once he gets into the embassy, the U.S. Uh, Marines that are at the embassy pick up their guns, and it's as if the guy made it back to America and crossed the border. It's not 100%, but basically you feel that once you're in the embassy, you really feel that in your, your home country. So let's keep that in mind. So let's jump to the Megillah for a second. We're going to begin just the beginning of the Megillah, and we're going to take that into the Perashah. You're going to see how all of this comes together with really a single, a single answer, answering us and bringing the whole, uh, the whole, the whole Perashah and the Megillah question together. We begin the Megillah. Vahi bimei Achashverosh, who Achashverosh was in the days of Achashverosh. He's Achashverosh. He rules Mehodu Ve'adkush, 127 provinces. Bayamim ha'hem. Keshever ha'melech Achashverosh al-kiseh malchuto ha'asheh b'shushan ha'bira. He's living in, in Shushan ha'bira. He's sitting on his throne there. And it says the third year of his kingdom, he does a, makes a party. Lechol sarav ha'avadav chel parasum adai. And he, he rules, basically, the Megillah is telling us, he rules the known world. And it's the third year of his reign. And he makes a party to celebrate. And how long's the party? Not a day, not a week, not a month, but six months. And we all know the story. He gets drunk. He calls his wife Vashti in to show off her beauty. She refuses. And the Gemara tells us that when Vashti was called in by a Hashverosh, 
she sent him back an interesting message. She refuses him and she calls him the son of my father's stable master. A son of a stable master. Vashti is reminding Achashverosh that, that he has no royal blood. He's a usurper. While Vashti herself was the daughter of Belshazzar, she is true royalty. Elsewhere, the Gemara tells us that Achashverosh not only married the king's daughter, but he was the one who usurped and he took over from the previous king. And the question we ask is, why is a stable boy such a terrible insult? In Paras, it was a great honor to ride a horse. In Persia, it was a great honor. Only the nobles rode the horses. The stable boy was to take care, to prepare the horse, but never to ride the horse. He was at the bottom of the totem pole. Even if he was a stable boy to the king, evil Murdoch, he was still a non-person. I think this helps us to understand the reward later that's given to Mordechai in allowing Mordechai to ride the king's horse. To a Persian, especially a Hashverosh, this was the ultimate honor. So, continuing in the Megillah, Rav Yosef Farhi, he asked a good question last week. He asked in his article, ever wonder how Ahasuerus became so rich? You have this guy who's a stable boy. How does he become so rich? The rabbis explain that Nebuchadnezzar, Yimachshimo, who was the one who destroyed Yerushalayim, who, who destroyed the, the first Bet HaMikdash, he took all the 5,400 gold and silver and precious stone utensils. Remember, we talked about the dishes from Egypt. He took all 5,400 utensils and 180 treasure houses associated with the Bet HaMikdash. Miser that he was, he didn't want anyone to uh, inherit this wealth. What did he do? He took a copper boat, loaded it with copper containers, put everything, all this treasure into that boat, and he sunk it to the bottom of the Euphrates. He didn't want anyone to have after he was gone. Korash, who becomes Melech of Paras, of Persia. He's the king two years before Ahasuerus becomes the king. He originally allowed and gave permission to Bnei Israel to return and to build the Bet HaMikdash. In the merit of him allowing them to go and build the Bet HaMikdash, Hashem revealed to Korash where to dig near the Euphrates, and Korash uncovered all of these treasures. Ahasuerus was an officer in the army. He rose and he was part of a revolt. And he ends up buying himself into office. He rises to power and he becomes the king initially with the permission of the people. And he inherits all this great wealth. Yalkut Shimoni from Tanchuma says that once he became king, he took on Vashti as his queen because she was the real royalty. And she persuaded him to stop B'nai Israel, to stop the Jewish people from returning home and rebuilding the Ben HaMikdash. So the Ben HaMikdash had started and all of a sudden under Ahasuerosh stopped. <coughs> I believe that this is why Mordechai comes to Shushan, the new capital. He's there in order to press and to plead for the rebuilding of the Ben HaMikdash. He was known in the capital of Shushan. 
He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He must have been very well regarded. And it was probably somewhat fashionable for a monarch, even if he hated Jews, to still have a Jewish advisor. We see Daniel was an advisor to Nebuchadnezzar. We see Kissinger was an advisor to Nixon. And all throughout history, you have so many cases where Jews are the advisor. But Mordechai's main reason for being in Shushan was to plead for the renewal for a building permit to rebuild the Bet HaMikdash. What's unbelievable is that we see that even after rising to the level of prime minister, and you see in the Megillah, he was as high as you can get. The whole world feared him. He still wasn't able to get permission to build the Bet HaMikdash. As the Megillah begins, Achashverosh is in the third year, like we mentioned, of his power. It's the year he believes the 70-year prophecy that B'nai Israel would return and rebuild the temple was up. So Achashverosh, they counted it from the original exile, 11 years before. Achashverosh and Vashti believe that if Hashem had not yet brought the Jews home, Hashem must have simply given up on them. And now the booty, the 180 uh, vaults of, 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 of jewels, rooms of jewels, all that was his for keeps. All of the vessels from the Mikdash were his. The clothing of the Kohen Gadol was his. So to show that he is in fact in control of the entire world, Mehodu Vadkush, 127 prophecies, he's the master of the world. And that the Jews would be under his rule forever. What does Achashverosh do? He makes a party for 180 days. So each day he could show off one of the 180 treasures. And Achashverosh and Vashti both put on the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. Clothes that we're going to read about next week in Parashat Tesaveh. But it's interesting that Hashem shows Achashverosh at his own body. That although... He thinks that he's truly in control of the entire world. And no one can do anything without him. He doesn't even have control over his household. He doesn't have control over his wife. I don't know, does anyone really have control? So we know, usually the wife has control over the husband, right? We know that Achashverosh was wicked. From the beginning into the end, Rashi comments on the, on the words, Who Achashverosh? That he was Achashverosh, who was wicked. He wanted to get rid of Bnei Israel of the Jews as much as Haman did. And to him, Haman was doing an incredible, incredible favor. But as we know the story, Esther turns the table. Haman is hung. The Jews are permitted to defend themselves. They're victorious. And thus we have the holiday of Purim. Three years after the death of Haman, who dies? Achashverosh. And everything he has, he leaves to his child. His child is Daryavish. He's the seven-year-old son of Esther. Two years later, at the age of nine, Melech Daryavish. What does he do? Darius, I guess rabbinically speaking, he was a Jew as the Esther's son. He allows B'nai Israel to begin building again the Ben Amikdash. We're going to come back to the Megillah. We begin Parasha, the Parasha of Terumah. By David Hashem and Moshe the one. Daber el Israel. 
speak to the children of Israel, Vayichuli Terumah, and they should bring for me an offering, a, a gift, a charity. Me'et kol ish asher idbenu libo. It's interesting. Whose heart inspires him. Everyone is going to give a gift, Rashi explains, which is an expression of goodwill. He brings in French the word, a gift. This is a gift, a gift from my heart. What's the offering? There were three offerings related to the construction of the Mishkan. There was a half shekel that went into the sockets. The sockets were the support of the beams that were the perimeter of the Mishkan. There was another half shekel that went to support to purchase the animals, the communal sacrifice. But the main donation, the main donations of these 13 materials, all of that came specifically from people volunteering. An expression of goodwill of your heart. And the question is, what do you mean? You're building a mishkan. You're building a mishkan for all of the people. Shouldn't everybody participate equally in the building of the Mishkan? Tax everybody a little and everybody contributes and that's it. Why not set an amount that everyone should be willing to give? Why not choose a number? Make it an obligation for everybody. Everybody participate. These are the membership dues, people. There's no other mitzvah really in the Torah to give what you want. Sometimes the Torah leaves it to the Chachamim to decide what's the amount. We have certain things that there's no shiur, but the rabbis give a shiur. The rabbis give an amount. It's up to each person. We, last week we read Parshat Shekalim, Machasita Shekel, like we mentioned, that was for the yearly donation to pay for the sacrifices, but nothing was for the construction of the Mikdash at all, other than those sockets that supported the wood beams, nothing. Here, it's very specific, whatever you want. You know, in shul, when people go up, especially in Sephardic shuls, they go up, they make a nedava, they make a pledge to the shul. And they pledge, you know, 101, 201, 501, 80, whatever it is. And then you have a guy who says, matanat yado. Matanat yado is the gift of his hand. Usually that means nothing. Maybe it give you a dollar or something, but usually nothing. So here, Hashem is telling them, Matanat Yado, whatever you want to give, give. Whatever you want to give. <clears throat> and the, the Pasuk continues, Vasuli Mikdash, they're going to build me a Mikdash, Veshachanti Betocham. And I'm going to dwell among Bene Israel. The question is very simple. Vasuli Mikdash, make me a, a Mikdash, make me a temple, make me a, a, a tabernacle. What does that mean? The whole idea of constructing a house for Hashem, and this house isn't too big, seems to minimize Hashem. What are we trying to do? Put Hashem in a box. It's so strange. You know, every day we say Kiddushah multiple times. What do we say? Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Hashem Sevaot. Melo kol ha'aretz kevodot. The whole world is filled with His kevod. Every little kid sings, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is everywhere, up, down, all around. How do we say that we're going to put Hashem in the box? Rambam, he says that anyone who comes to the Ben HaMikdash and says that Hashem is inside the Ben HaMikdash, but not outside, he's a kofer, he's a denier. He goes against the, the, the precepts of religion. But the whole idea of a Ben HaMikdash makes it confusing. 
You're trying to set the people up. We're going to Ben Amikdash. We're going to visit Hashem. Kids, let's go. What does that mean? What are we saying? Is Hashem more inside the Ben Amikdash than outside? It's impossible to say. If Hashem more here than there, Hashem is everywhere. So what's the point of the whole Mishkan? Why do we need an Aron? Hashem spoke to all the Nevi'im outside. You don't need an office. Everyone could work from home, right? It's, uh, you know, decentralized. We don't need an office. We don't need an appointment. There's no posted hours in communicating with Hashem. Moshe goes up to Har Sinai. He speaks to Hashem. Mountain. We don't need an office. He's in Egypt. He speaks to Hashem. All outside. He's on the road. Everyone's on the road. There's no building required. The same Avraham, he speaks to Hashem. Where he is, he's sitting outside his tent. Hashem comes to him. Yitzchak, Yaakov, he's traveling. Go speak to Hashem. He lays down. He's Delada. He speaks to Hashem. Noah, he's outside. He speaks to Hashem. Hanoch, there's no building. If Hashem wants to talk to us, he can and he certainly will. He's not limited to a building. And even if you want to say, that the place of the Bet HaMikdash is holy because of what occurred there. What do we need a building for at all? You don't need a building. You don't need an instruments. You don't need dishes. You don't need a candelabra. What do you? It's almost like he's saying we're going to make a room for Hashem. We're going to have his candelabra, his table, his aron, his closet, and we're going to have a, his old. What, what, what's going on here? Do we need dishes for Hashem? Even while the Bet HaMikdash existed. The Nevi'im spoke to Hashem outside. And like we say, to the contrary, it, it could make somebody somebody easily believe that Hashem's inside, not outside. It becomes very limiting. It affects people. So it seems we really don't need it, or probably we could say we're better off without it. Why restrict Hashem? Why lead to a feeling that Hashem is not everywhere or even the thought that the presence of Hashem is greater somewhere than it is somewhere else? This whole idea of needing a building seems to serve the opposite intention. It seems really we don't need it. Hashem certainly doesn't need it. Sounds like Hashem gave us the, you know, gave us the Torah. He says, I'm giving you a Torah. Build me a little house with an itty-bitty room for me to live in. It sounds like me. You know, Michaela, you're building a house in Israel now. Make sure you build me my room in your house so I have a place to go in Israel. I have my room in my daughter's house. Is that, that what I'm saying? Build me a little room so I could live in it. Now, what goes on the Pasuk? Everything I'm going to show you. The picture of the Mishkan. The picture of all the vessels. That's what you should do. What do you mean? The Tavnit. Moshe is in Shammai. Hashem shows him the videotape. What the Mishkan needs to look like, maybe like a hologram, maybe he has like this spiritual 3D printer, maybe AutoCAD, maybe SolidWorks, you know, we build everything in SolidWorks. Someone, you know, the worst thing that could happen in our business, you know, you see the furniture goes by in the back, right? The worst thing that could happen in this business is if you make something custom and you deliver it and the guy says, I didn't think it would look like that. I didn't think it would look like that. You want to make sure they know what it's going to look like before they get it. The same way Hashem is showing Moshe, says Rashi, says the Gemana, he's showing Moshe exactly what it looks like before he's going to build it. And it's interesting because the rabbis say that maybe Moshe didn't understand. He needed the image. He needed the instructional video. 
And he saw all these things in Shammai. But what really did he see in Shammai? What did he see? All of this he learned when he was up in Shammai, on Har Sinai. What did he see? And the Pasuk continues, Ve'asu Aaron, atzeshitim, you're going to make me Aaron, cedar wood, amatayim v'chetzi chorko, two and a half uh, amot. Uh, so basically, you're making a box. The box is going to be five feet by three feet by three feet. That's the box. It's a closet. Rashi writes, it's a closet with no legs. Like a dresser with no legs, sits on the floor. What are you going to do? Ve'natata el al ha'el ha'aron. You're going to make for the Aaron. You're gonna make. You're gonna put into the Aron. Sorry, the luchot. That's the place. The purpose of the Aron, the Ark. You know, we saw the movie, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Is gonna Hashem's gonna give you the luchot, Moshe. He's gonna when you're gonna go downstairs. You're gonna put them away in the cabinet. You're gonna lock the door. What do you, you think? It's a safe. It's a safe that you could lock it away. You need to lock it away. What do you need to cover up the luchot? If you're going to put the Luchot in the Kodesh HaKodeshim anyway, in the Holy of Holies, make a shelf, a nice shelf, put the Luchot on the shelf. What do you need an ark to stick the Luchot into the shelf? Everyone they could see. And if not, then just a shelf in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, then you cover it with the curtain. What do you need a closet? The Menorah doesn't have a closet. The Menorah is out, exposed. The Shulchan doesn't have a closet. It's out and exposed. The, 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 uh, the Mizbeach doesn't have a closet. Why did the Luchot need a closet? We're also told to go ahead and open the, the, the curtains every so the people could look inside. Let them look inside and see the, the, the tablets. Wow, cool, those are the tablets, Moshe bro. Why do we need the ark? Now we have this box. Once we have a box, we need a cover for the box. And this cover is going to, again, be five feet by three feet and uh, maybe a foot high. What's it going to be? Solid, thick gold. Normally, you would solder statues, figures to the top. Here, there's no soldering. Has to be one thick piece of gold beat out. Two cherubim. Two cherubim. Two cherubs. What do you mean two cherubs? You're going to beat out two cherubs and they're going to sit on top of the ark. One on one side, one on the other side. Two angels. And the Gemara says, baby faces. That's how we have cherubs. He has a cherub-like face, right? One male, taller, one female, shorter. Statues. Statues! What's the commandment say? You're not allowed to make a statue. No images. Nebuchadnezzar, Yimach Shemo, his general, Nebuchadnezzar, Yimach Shemo. They, they conquer the Ben Hamikdash. They're destroying the Ben Hamikdash. They want to come in. They come into the Kodesh and Kodeshim. They want to see what's there. What are the Jews hiding inside the Kodesh and Kodeshim? What's inside? Now we know that Yoshiahu, the king, already took the tablets and hid them. He took the Torah, he hid it. He took the man, he hid it. But what's there is the Aron. They come in and see the ark, and what do they see? They lift out the cover, they see two angels, a male and female, and what are they doing? They're hugging each other. And they go crazy, and they say, these Jews are nuts. They say we can't have any graven images. We can't have statues. It's all a joke. It's all a lie. Look at these two statues of boy and girl hugging each other. This is the Jews. Crazy. What do we need this? Where do we get this? What do we have this whole idea of Kiruvim? So what is Hashem telling to Moshe? I'm going to speak to you there. We're moving the bad phone to that spot. 
in between the two keruvim, we're going to have the speakerphone. That's where you're going to talk to me, Moshe. Between the two angels, the voice is going to come. Moshe looks, he sees it's coming from there. Again, why do we need a place? Why the Ohel Moved? Why can't Moshe just hear Hashem from Shamaim? Why can't he just give him an iPhone and that's it? I don't know what's going on. What is the whole purpose behind all of these vessels that we're making for the Mishkan? It's very hard to understand. Okay, Perasha on hold. Back to the Megillah. Megillah, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Bayad Haman. Haman saw that Mordechai is not bowing down to him and Haman is filled with anger he's the, he's, he's the strongest the most powerful guy in the country he sits higher on the chair than Achashverosh he has kids he has wealth he has a wife he has everything you could imagine and the one thing he doesn't have is that Mordechai, that Jew, doesn't bow down to him. So because of one guy, he, he, it was disdained in his eyes, right? He wanted to kill Mordechai, but he wasn't just going to kill Mordechai because Mordechai is a Jew. He's going to kill every single Jew. Now, could you imagine if you were Jew at the time? You find out that because Mordechai didn't bow down to this guy, Haman, who the king said to bow down to, every single Jew in the world is going to be executed. Whose fault is it? Mordechai. The rabbis tell us the people were very upset with Mordechai. And what happens? Next pasuk. The first day of Nisan, he makes a lottery. And on the lottery, he pulls out which month to kill the Jewish people, and he pulls out the 12th month of the year, Adar. Adar. And he's very happy. It's a good sign. Adar. The best month to kill the Jewish people. Why? Their leader, Moshe Rabbeinu, died in Adar. It seems strange. We all die sometimes. And Moshe died a thousand years before this. You think that that's the reason that that month is going to be the month to kill the Jewish people? Remember, Haman, he was also born in that month. What's going on? What's the idea of Adar? What's the connection of Haman? What is he thinking? Jump to chapter 6, verse 1. This is one of those Pesukim we read aloud, all of us. That night the king couldn't sleep. And he orders them to bring the book of remembrances, the, the, the book, the history book, and they're going to read it in front of the king. What night is this? This is the night of Pesach. He can't sleep on the night of Pesach. The execution is now scheduled for 12 months from then, but all the events of Haman coming to the king, getting permission to kill the, kill the Jewish people, and then what's going to happen with Haman getting killed? All these things takes place. The whole, basically, the story of the Megillah, which is nine years, takes place really in three days. Let's remember the events. There's an attempted assassination of the king. Mordechai, who understood the language of the guys who wanted to assassinate the king, reports what he heard to Esther, who reports it to the king's secret service in the name of Mordechai. So what happens now? The king goes to sleep. He, I mean, the king tries to go to sleep. Haman wants to come to the king because he's going to ask the king to allow him to hang Haman. 
what happens now? The king can't sleep. He says, Who's in the corridor? They tell him Haman. The king dreamed that Haman wants to kill him. Now the king is very nervous. What's this guy Haman doing here? What's he doing here? And he tells him the story. What should the king do for the person who the king wants to favor? Haman thinks it's him. And Haman says he should put him, dress him in the king's clothing. He should put on him the king's crown. And he should let him ride on the king's horse. So what is more? What is the what does Ahasuerus do? He says to Haman, all the things you just said do to Mordechai, the Jew who sits at the gate. This is Ahasuerus's token Jew. Now remember, we said who Ahasuerus? He hated the Jews from the beginning. He hates the Jews more than Haman hates the Jews. He also knows that he signed an executive order to kill all of the Jews at the end of the year including Mordechai. So now he's going to go out of his way to reward him in such a public manner? Yeah, he wants to assure the people the king rewards the guy who takes care of him. But isn't it ridiculous when the people are going to see they just got these papers that said that in 12 months we're going to kill every Jew and now the Jewish leader is being taken on a horse and being told this is what the king does to the guy he loves? In one way, it looks like a reward. It's a simple re reaction to Haman's suggestion. But he didn't have to listen to the suggestion. He could have given him something else, something private. Remember, he hates the Jews. It's so confusing. How can you take a guy you're going to execute and stick him on a horse and say, this is what I do to the guy I love? He looks ridiculous. The king loves him, but he's going to kill him. Hate him, love him. If you love him, why do you? Then you can execute every Jew, including him doesn't make sense. What's going on? Jump to chapter 8. By Yom Ha'hu, this is after the whole story. Haman is dead and what happens is the king, the, the queen comes and, and she, she brings uh, she brings her uncle. By Yom Ha'hu, Natan On that day, the king gave to Esther Hamaka at Bet Haman, the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Mordechai came in front of the king because Esther told the king your majesty this is Mordechai he happens to be my cousin but he's also my ex-husband I was married to him when you forced me to come to the palace and marry you that's very strange now what happens so the king could say ah oh, beautiful I'm happy to meet you what does he do? he takes the ring the ring of the of the prime minister and what does he do he puts the ring on Mordechai's hands I'm sorry you made him prime minister for what okay we know he saved your life and you put him on the horse and you said this is what the king does but you make him prime minister for what where's his qualifications to be prime minister you know we have a similar question when it comes to Yosef being made prime minister by Paro but in the case of Paro, Yosef interpreted the dream. Yosef showed he was connected to this aspect above nature. He's connected to this Elohim. He's the only one with Binah. He's the only one who's going to be able to overturn what's going to happen. He's going to overturn nature. But Mordechai, he saved your life. Why did he save your life? Because he understood two guys were talking in a language that he understood. No great wisdom. He's in the right place at the right time. Done. You're going to make him the prime minister rule the whole country? 
Why? What? How? We continue the same Berek, Pasuk 17, the end of the Berek. Ubchol Medina Medina. Ubchol Iyir Vayir. The whole country. What happens? They see the joy of the Jewish people. And what do they want to do? They want to start converting to be Jews because they became very afraid of the Jews. Every country has the new letter. Every country, the people are converting. They're afraid of Mordechai. Why? Maybe you could be afraid of Esther because she's the queen, but why be afraid of Mordechai? Perik 9, Pasuk 3. All the offices of the country. It says, what do they do? They 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 do uh because they 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 show deference to all the Jews because what Nafal Pachad Mordechai the fear of Mordechai had fallen on them. Afraid of Mordechai, deference to Mordechai. What did Mordechai do? Did he sign a $1.9 billion relief plan that's going to send every household $1,400? Did he sign, you know, a raise in the minimum? Did he do something? What did he do? The last pasuk. Wow, what a great honor. I don't know why Mordechai had to keep this one in there. Mordechai became the assistant, the servant of Achashverosh, he became the second in command, but he wasn't able to build the Beit Hamikdash. Says, what's going on? Why is Mordechai up to this level? How do we understand all this going on in the Perasha? How do we understand this idea of building the Mishkan? Why we're we building the Mishkan? Are we minimizing Hashem? What's the whole idea with with Mordechai? What is going on? So, if we look for the answer, we find really one answer. One answer from Rabbeinu Hari, it's explained very nicely. Rabbi did explain it nicely many years ago. If you want to get to the Kisei Kavod, if you want to get to the chair of Hashem, you know, a Navi who wants to have Nevoah, what does he have to do? He has to go into meditate, he has to think, he has to focus, he has to go into another world. He completely leaves this world. He enters dimension after dimension. He goes from our world, which is Olam Asiyah, the world of activity, the world of action, and he starts to rise level by level through a hallway and hallway through the Olam. He rises to the next level of Olam Hayetzira, the world of formation, the world of manufacturing. Yetzira is, is making something from something. I have something, I have wood, I make furniture. That's Olam HaYetzira. I have some substance, I make something. Something from something. He rises through the levels of this Olam HaYetzira and he comes to the next dimension, the next world called Olam HaBeria. The world of creation. Yesh Me'ayin. Something from nothing. We discussed a little of this last week. This world of Beriah is again level by level by level and then you come up to the top of the world to the Kiseh HaKavod and above it is the world of Atzilut which we can't touch. It's so, so, so holy that it's beyond our realms. The Kiseh HaKavod. Remember the word Kiseh, chair. 
Kisa, the throne, right? Kisa Akavod, the throne of glory. But what's the word Kisa? Kisui. We have the mitzvah Kisui Dam, to cover the blood. Kisa is a reference to hidden. It's something hidden. The chair is in a hidden place. The Zohar Kadosh describes the passage from level to level within these olamot. And really, if you look at how a Navi learns, they had schools of Nevi'im. They trained million Nevi'im in the times of the Ben HaMikdash. And they would have to train to be able to go level by level by level and rise. The Zohar Kadosh describes these holes. And as an example, it gives the Olam HaBiriyah, this world of Biriyah, this higher, higher world, directly below the Kiseh Kavod, the throne of Hashem. Contains seven holes, and each hole relates to some aspect of this world. The Zohar explains: if you need help in business, there's a certain office. There's the office, the hall of business. You need help with a shiduch, finding a spouse. There's a, a office, health, the office of refuah. There's an office, office to have children. There's an office, and each office is occupied by specific malachim. Specific angels with specific responsibilities. If you're looking for money, you don't go to the doctor. And if you're looking for health, you don't go to the shidduch room. So there's seven main holes you're climbing up. And each of these holes is separated by tunneled skylights. So basically, whatever level you're on, if you look up, there's glass ceiling, glass ceiling, glass ceiling. And you're seeing through level, level, level till you get to Kisei Akavod. The last two halls are called the Hechal Ratzon, the Hechal of free will. This is where we find the four archangels, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Nuriel. And each of those four angels has two assistants. So we have four angels, each with two assistants. We have 12 angels in this room called Hechal Ratzon. That's the highest level. Those are the archangels at the highest level. The other angels are at lower levels. We have Ofanim Kodesh. We have different angels. Another place we could go into the, the world of angels. From there, one can climb into the final hall of this level of Beriyah below the chair. And this is called the Hall of the Kodesh HaKodashim. And that sits directly below the Kisei Kavod. In essence, we have to remember, Hashem does not need a Mishkan. We really don't need a Mishkan. It's the same with the Ben HaMikdash. The whole concept of this Mishkan is, seems to be restricting. So the Zohar HaKadosh comes to explain it. And it tells us what we have to understand. The Mishkan is comparable to the last two worlds in the world of creation, in the Olam Haberiyah. What one feels in the Mishkan, what one feels in the Mikdash, is that one entered the embassy of those two rooms from the world of creation. So we mentioned before, when you go into the embassy, you're almost like you're in another country. You're in China, you enter the American embassy, it's like in some way you're in America. When one enters into the Bet HaMikdash or the Mishkan, it's sort of like in science fiction terms, entering into a parallel universe. You're connected here 
and the connection is from here to there and this space that you enter is a portal and actually exists in another dimension the Mishkan is an embassy you go there and you feel and you see as if you're in the embassy in those halls of Olam HaBeriyah this is the secret of the Mishkan on its own terms it's not needed by us certainly not needed by Hashem but it's the embassy the connection point to that highest level of our possible perception of a spiritual manifestation of Hashem this is why when commanding Moshe Rabbeinu Hashem says each person should give what they want what they want matanat yado the gift of his hand the mikdash is the connecting point to the hall of ratzon the hall of free will the only way to get into this hall of ratzon free will is by doing it free will it has to be built from free will from a gift i give freely the whole design of the mishkan the space of the mishkan the scale of the mishkan the utensils of the mishkan all give a person the feeling that he's not in this world. He's in the portal. He's in the embassy. Those are the departments within the embassy. We're in a foreign country, under a rule of a foreign power. But we step into the embassy, we're home. We're on national territory. The specifications of the Mikdash, they're not for Hashem. He doesn't need it. It's all for us. So that we have a feeling that we are there in the hall of Ratzon. Imagine if I could tell you, you could take a trip into heaven. You could take a trip into another, another dimension. To the hall of the Kodesh HaKodashim above. What is this place? When Moshe goes to Har Sinai, 40 days, 40 days, 40 days, 120 days. He's in heaven. Remember when Moshe gets to heaven, the angels are breathing fire. They're going to burn him up. He's afraid. Hashem says to him, grab onto the chair. Hold on to the chair. This place that Moshe was for those 120 days, that's the same place parallel to the Ben HaMikdash. You expand that room onto the earth. The same way Moshe heard Hashem in heaven, He's going to hear Hashem below. This place, the Mishkan, this Kodesh HaKodashim, is an extension of the place called Hechal, Kodesh HaKodashim, above. It's in this world, but of that world. It's a special access point to visit directly into the chamber, to pass through into the dimension without making the journey from Olam HaAsiyah, level, 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 level. Olam HaYetzirah, level, 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 level. Olam HaBeriyah, level, 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 level. What is it? A direct passage, direct route, completely connecting us. It's a secret passage to the throne room. Imagine, you want to go visit the king, you got to throw the guards and these guards and that guards and that minister and that minister and that minister. But imagine if the king tells you, listen, there's an underground passage. It goes under the moat, comes through everywhere, and comes right into the throne room. That's the whole idea behind the Mishkan. That's the whole idea behind the Mikdash. That's the whole idea behind the Kodesh HaKodashim. 
And although Rashi brings the, the Midrash that says, this is after the Egel, that the Mishkan is a response to the Egel, that the Mishkan was something we needed because we needed some physicality, and it was proved that we needed a physicality because we brought the Egel to worship. What is it really going on? The reality is that according to the other Mephashim, according to Ramban, according to Tosfot, according to the Zohar Kadosh, there always was going to be a Mishkan. This is right after Moshe gets the commandment. It's an immediate gift to B'nai Israel. Call it a phone card. Call it a cell phone. Just call it a plain portal. The Mishkan is given to us as a grant. It's not an obligation. It's a benefit to us. It's a place for us to connect. It's a place for us to get in. It's a place for us to get to those offices. The office of Parnassah, the office of Refuah, the office of children, the office of marriage, all of these offices, it gives us access directly above nature. Above nature. We have to understand the miraculous aspect of the Mishkan of the Ben HaMitash. On earth, we're subject to nature. In heaven, it's a miraculous world. The Mikdash is not of earth. The Mikdash is an extension of heaven. And that's what we lost when we lost the Mikdash. The Gemara tells us the Mikdash is relatively small. The courtyard is relatively small. How can you have all the Jews in the country three times a year come to this Mikdash? Imagine on Pesach, all of these people bringing their Korban Pesach to slaughter. The Halakha, they all had to come millions. Bringing a sheep to slaughter and eat in this relatively small area, how is it possible? Because it's miraculous. Because the spot is not our world. This is not the Olam Asiyah. This is above the Olam Briyah, the very top. And not only that, it's the highest level, the level right below the Kiseh Kavod, the Kodesh HaKodeshim. You question, why do the Keruvim, why are the angels? Why angels in the Kodesh HaKodeshim? Because on earth, we're not allowed to have graven images of angels. But this Kodesh HaKodeshim is not of earth. This is of heaven. This is an embassy of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And just as above, in the whole of Ratzon, it's the place of the archangels. So here Hashem says, make the angels at the top of the ark. Exactly as I tell you to do. One male, one female. Why? Because sometimes we relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a female and sometimes in a male way. We have, for example, we say Naktishach, it's feminine, Avdach, feminine, versus Avdecha, masculine. It's beyond the scope of the class, but briefly, sometimes we, we see Hashem acts as us the way we perceive in a feminine form, in a masculine form. It's nothing to do with Hashem, it's only relating to us and our perception. Two statues relate to what's going on in Shamayim, the Hechal of Ratzon, the Hall of Will. Not only that, but in this place, the, the hall of will, the, the hall of Ratzon, what is there? The souls are stored there. The Midrash tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu at midnight every night speaks to the souls. Where? In this Hechal. It's a connection to the room of souls. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, build it. I'm going to speak to you from there. You don't need to rise up level by level by level by level to come up. You could avoid the spiritual journey through the worlds, through the halls. This is the red phone in the embassy. This is the direct connection. As if you're in the room where you were.
Moshe Rabbeinu reached this level. He reached level by level by level to this highest level, right below the throne room at the aspect of Bina. This is the highest level of Olam HaBeriah. Hashem is saying, you don't need to climb anymore. I'm giving you the bat phone. I'm giving you the connection. I'm giving you the direct passageway. Follow these specifications. You saw the video in Shammayim. Spiritually, this is where Hashem dwells in Shammayim. One interesting thought. My father, he was a big fan of Betzalel. Betzalel, I always wanted to have Betzalel. My, my father had a workshop within the factory where he fixed all the Sifret Torot, all of the, uh, the Rimonim, all of the different things from the Shul. We used to call it Betzalel's, his, uh, his workshop. He says, Betzael was imbued with knowledge. Moshe tells him, build the Aron, build the Menorah, build the Shulchan, build the Mishkan. Betzael, this 15-year-old boy, turns to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, with all due respect, Moshe Rabbeinu, I have a question. What comes first, the furniture or the house? How do you make the furniture before you make the house? And Moshe says, you know what? It makes sense. Start with the Mishkan, then do the vessels. And the rabbi says, all the people get nervous. Moshe Rabbeinu comes down. It's after Yom Kippur, second Luchot. The first instructions he's giving is this is what you're going to do to build the Ben HaMikdash. You're going to make the Aron. You're going to make the Menorah. You're going to make the Shulchan. You're going to go through all of these things. And what happens? A 15-year-old boy says, wait, Moshe, maybe it's all the way around. How can you trust anything he's saying? How can you trust Moshe? The first thing he's telling us, he got it wrong? And Rabbeinu Hadi explains, we should understand that each of the Kelim represent another whole. The table, for example, is Parnassah. It connects to that office upstairs. And like we said, each office is specific. Hashem doesn't need a table. He doesn't need a candelabra. He doesn't need anything. It all refers to the offices in Shammai. The Mishkan itself, says the Ari, refers to the lowest level, to the level of Malchut, the bottom of the hall where you begin to rise from level to level to level until you get to the Aron. Moshe is coming from Shamayim. He's coming from the highest point and he's descending. So you have Aaron, you have Menorah, you have Shulchan, down, 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 until the Mishkan. He starts with the end in mind. The end is the Aaron, the highest level to reach. He starts with that. He explains to Betzalel, you begin with the end in mind to get to the Aaron, to get to the place of below the Kisei Kavod. He starts upstairs, he comes down. But Betzalel tells Moshe, Moshe, with all due respect, you're starting from there, coming down. We're just people. We're starting from down and we're going up. And that's why he builds it like that. Relating to Purim, Zadar, we mentioned in the previous classes, last year I think in this class, we mentioned Eliyahu woke up the Avot. B'nai Israel are all going to be killed. Haman has an edict. You have to go and pray. He wakes up Abraham. He wakes up Yitzhak. He wakes up Yaakov. He comes to Moshe. Moshe says to Eliyahu, Eliyahu, okay, we're going to pray up here, but is there anyone who knows how to pray downstairs? Yes, only Mordechai. Huh? Only Mordechai? Millions of Jews below? The rest of the Sanhedrin, only Mordechai knows how to pray? We read in the Megillah, Ish Yehudi Hayabeshushan Habira. Ushmo Mordechai. Then we go into his, his ancestors. Ben Yair, Ben Shemi, Ben Kish, Ish Yamini. The Gemara Megillah explains Ben Yair, 
because he was meir, illuminated. He illuminated the eyes of Bnei Israel with his tefillah. Ben Shim'i, Hashem, Hashem is listening. Shomeya, he heard his prayer. Ben Kish, because he was Mekish, knocking on the gates of mercy, they opened up for him. The rabbis tell us that Mordechai was there because he wanted to build the Bet HaMikdash. It's not just for the mitzvah. It's not just important. Mordechai understood that all miracles come through the Bet HaMikdash. The Bet HaMikdash is an access to another world. It's an open portal to this level above nature, to this level of Beracha. The rabbis explain only Mordechai understood, really understood. It relates to the gates or the halls, to the gates of Rachamim, to the Kisea Kavod. He understood the concept of the Bet HaMikdash. We go back, Esther introduces him to Haman. Immediately Haman gives him the ring. Why? No idea. But why? Because he was an ambassador from the other world. He couldn't understand, but there was something about him. The Megillah says something very strange. Vahi omen et hadasa. We translate it as he brought up hadasa. He, he is there. She was is there. But what does the word omen mean? It means he nursed her. What do you mean he nursed her? He actually nursed her. Bereshit Rabat says, But did Mordechai really feed and sustain Esther? Rav Yudan said, On one occasion he went around, he couldn't find a wet nurse. Remember, Esther's father dies while her mother is pregnant, and her mother dies in childbirth. She's left only with her cousin Mordechai. He couldn't find a wet nurse, so says the Gemara, he nursed her himself. Nursed her himself? How could that be? The Gemara tells another incident of a man whose wife died he couldn't find a wet nurse. He had no money to pay. And there was a nest, a nest that he could nurse her. I saw there are cases of male goats that are able to nurse their children. I don't know, don't tell my wife because then she would have told me to wake up in the middle of the night and feed the kids. But there's some miracle with regard to Mordechai, something beyond nature. He comes to Bavel, he's exiled. Then he comes to Shushan. The reason why? To rebuild. Achashverosh hates the Jews. He hates him. But Mordechai is the messenger from the embassy. He's the ambassador. He's above nature. Rambam, he says the halacha is that the Mashiach is going to come and Purim we're going to still celebrate. Because Purim is a holiday given to us through the embassy, through the Olam Haberiyah. Chodesh Hadar. Haman picks it out of the hat. So happy. It's the month Moshe died. Hashemad says the ambassador from that place died. B'nai Israel is disconnected from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But the Torah describes Moshe 120 days, no eating, no drinking. Moshe is in a world above nature. Says Haman, he died that month. It's the loss of the connection. This explains Moshe's question. Can anyone pray? Can anyone connect to that hole? Can anyone knock on the gates of those halls? He asks Eliyahu, is there anyone on the level on earth who could gain entry to that office at a level to go over Gezerah? Chodesh Adar, we have special kavanah, closes the cycle. Twelve months. Remember, we have twelve angels in this hall of Ratzon. We have the four archangels and each with two assistants. Twelve angels. Twelve months. Twelve tribes. Twelve hours. 
all those things refer to this hall. The power of this month is it closes the cycle. Haman feels disconnected because Moshe died. He doesn't know Moshe is also born. Moshe is the one who completes and closes the cycle. We have to understand that Adar were commanded to be happy because Purim, yes and no. Purim is not just Purim. It's not just a holiday in Adar. This month of Adar has tremendous power because the concept of the world of Briya, this world of creation on the upper level, is connected to us more this month than any other time of the year. We have an opportunity this month to make that connection, to make that connection this month. By doing what? By joining with other people, by bringing together ourselves with other people, in a minyan, in learning, committing, committing to mitzvot, committing to Shabbat. We have to realize what we lost. We pray that the Mashiach is going to come, we're going to rebuild the Tanah But until we understand that we lost the portal, we lost the connection, we lost this step from here to there, we have nothing. The whole beauty of this parasha and how it connects this way with the Megillah is to remind us of what was so special, to invoke within us this desire for it to happen again, and Bezrat Hashem, it will relight in this month of Adar, this month of good luck, this month of good fortune, this month where we're able to close the cycle and bring us back to connect to Hashem and bring blessing from the source. That's the whole idea. Thank you, everybody.